Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Now this morning, friends, unlike many of you, I have been um, learning a lot during this particular pandemic and our Stay Safe Ohio order. Um, it's been particularly unusual during this season to find the unique ways that God has been coming to me and God has been speaking to my heart. I pray that's been the same for you as well. And actually, there are three things in particular that, I, that I'd like to just mention this morning that, that I really have kind of been feeling and sensing in a deeper way during this pandemic. The first one is that I'm learning more and more that I gain my sense of security from insecure things and insecure places. Maybe you can identify with me in that this morning. That so much of my sense of identity in life has come from things that are very insecure, um, that they don't have much of a firm foundation. You know, perhaps we, you've placed your hope and your security in our economy, and that's pretty unstable right now. Even putting our security in just the normal modern conveniences that we so often take for granted, going to the grocery store and being out of supplies, not being able to go to restaurants. And when you do go, I don't know about you, but having uh, to learn to wait and be patient. And many times knowing that your order isn't going to be just right. Um, this has taught me a lot about my own sense of security and my own sense of kind of instability. Which brings me to a second thing I think I've learned, and that is that I think I've, I'm learning that I'm really in control of very little in my life. In fact, I'm I'm learning more and more that being in control actually is, a, is an illusion that creates spiritual delusion. Let me say that again. I think that the sense of being in control is actually an illusion that creates a spiritual delusion. You know, I realize in my life that I am in control of so little. In fact, even when I think I'm in control, it doesn't take much to throw my life out of control. And I'll confess, I'm a recovering control freak. I like to have control of things. And, and, and the remedy to that in my own heart during this season has been uh, really two spiritual practices and disciplines. First of all, deference to God, submitting and surrendering to Him. And then the second thing that has helped me with that is what... Um, Ignatius of Loyola cause uh, spiritual indifference. Now, by indifference, he doesn't mean that you don't care. In fact, quite the contrary. He means that you care very deeply about one thing and one thing only, that you care deeply about God's will. And that's been really good for me, especially when life feels like it's out of control. I'm learning to open my hands more. I'm learning to let go more. I'm learning to trust God more in the areas of my life where life seems out of control for me. And I think the third thing I'm really learning is that in order to stay spiritually and emotionally grounded during this season of a lot of isolation, I think I'm learning that I need intentional stops during my day to be with Jesus. Now, for many years, I studied the Gospels, and I love to study the steps of Jesus. But I have learned in my life the value of studying the stops of Jesus. Jesus was never in a hurry. Jesus was never anxious. 
Jesus was never driven. Jesus was always going at a pace and living his life in a way where he had an ear attuned to the Father and he was following the Lord's agenda for his life. And along the way, as he was going to, from place to place, from village to village, there would be these stops that he would make, times to respond to God, times to respond to needs and ministry. And I've learned in my life that I need more than to follow the steps of Jesus. I need to follow the stops. And I need to have intentional stops along the way in my day for what we like to call around here a daily office. Intentional, fixed times of prayer and being reminded and being present with Jesus throughout our day. Listen, friends, we cannot do what we're doing without this. Our lives are being too flooded right now. And, and if we're bringing to God uh, anything less than a deep, abiding, loving union with Jesus, and if we don't go below the surface in our spirituality, if it's simply just surface spirituality, it will not be enough to sustain us, especially through all the chaos we're experiencing today. So I took some time this week and I thought about in my own life, what is what has my own emotionally healthy response been to this COVID-19 pandemic? I think there is an emotionally unhealthy response during these particular times, grabbing for control, becoming impatient, uh, wanting things to go your way in your timing, uh, not intentionally stopping. But I think to be an emotionally healthy person in this pandemic during COVID-19, I think there's there's three things I would urge you to do and to join me in. First of all, I think create place for sacred space. Create place for sacred space. So in my home, I used to have an office. That office got taken over and became a kid's play space. It, it was a place where we had our grandkids coming and being in a, in a, uh, a pack and play. And then it went from there into becoming a storage place. And during this time, I have gone back and I've redeemed that place, not to simply be a work office, but to be a place for sacred space where I could actually, during my life and during my rhythm, take time in this solitude for some silence and stillness, which, by the way, is what keeps us grounded in God, in Jesus, during this particular time. The second thing I think that I've... I'm learning to do more and more is to just simply recognize and uh, embrace the unique season that we find ourselves in. And here's the season I think we find ourselves in. I think we are in a season of dormancy, not only as a world, not only in our country, in our community, but I think God's giving all of us a chance to catch our breath and to have some dormancy. Now listen, this is a rhythm that God has set into every living creature and every living thing. Think about it. Everything that's living has seasons of dormancy. Why? So that it can become more fruitful. When you look in the season of dormancy, it feels like everything's dead, but oh, it's not dead. It's very much alive. It's just all the work is being done underground, under the surface. And listen, I think God is inviting us to embrace this season of dormancy, to recognize that he wants to make us more fruitful. And the only way we can become more fruitful in our lives, in our church community, is by embracing and being faithful during the season of dormancy we find ourselves in. And so I think one of our emotionally healthy responses is not resisting or rejecting the season we're in, 
but rather leaning into it, embracing it with the heart and with the ambition that God is going to make us more fruitful as a result of letting us rest and letting the ground get some rest right now. The final thing I would just encourage you to do to practice a most healthy spirituality during this COVID-19 pandemic is to make love your big ambition. Make love your big ambition. Love God, love yourself, love others. Listen, friends, we can't love God until we've learned to love others as we love our own self. And I'm learning to do that more and more. And I'm inviting you to do that in your own life, to invite God's love deeper into your heart. And so I ask you today just a couple of questions before we move uh, into our continuation of worship. How has God been showing his love to you these days? Here's the second question. How have you been showing your love to God these days? I was struck by the words of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, from the Passion Translation, the last couple of weeks. And I've been just sitting in these words, and I want to read them to you today, followed by my pandemic prayer that I've been praying. Here are the words of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what, was, what is wrong. Love is a safe place to shelter. Don't you love that? Love is a safe place to shelter. For it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. The author is unknown who wrote this particular prayer, but I took hold of it a number of months back and it's now become part of my rhythm of praying during my daily office. This prayer, I just simply call, am calling it my pandemic prayer. And I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me today. Would you do that? Wherever you are right now, would you just quiet yourself? Would you get rid of any distractions? If you're drinking a cup of coffee, lay it aside. Sit up as erectly as you can in your, in your seat. And then just close your eyes and open your hands upward to God as a sign of surrender to him. And also as a sign of invitation to God that you are open, that you are eagerly receptive, and that you are eagerly responsive to God. Here's my pandemic prayer. I offer it to us today. Lord, teach me to love with your love, to see with your eyes, to listen with your ears, to think with your mind, to speak with your tongue, to feel with your heart, to touch with your hands, 
to smile with your smile, to walk with your walk, to serve with your generosity, to find in everything by the light of your spirit, the glory of your Father, and the fullness of your kingdom. Well, this morning we come to uh, our sixth week of Easter, and we continue our series, The Church Has Left the Building. We are joining the disciples following the resurrection of Jesus as Jesus is appearing uh, to his disciples in many different ways and at many different times. Now, this morning, I want to begin at Mark's gospel because Mark gives us perhaps the most succinct progression of Jesus' appearances of any of the gospel writers. And I really like uh, how he brings us into the narrative of the appearances of Jesus. Mark chapter 16, uh, verses 9 through 14. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to uh, two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. Now, there are several really interesting insights we gain from Mark's gospel about the appearances of Jesus and about the disciples' reaction to his appearance. First, I think it's interesting to note that Jesus appeared in different ways to each of the disciples. Did you catch that in the narrative? It says in Mark's gospel that afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form. Have you ever wondered why Jesus would have appeared in a different form? I mean, to Mary Magdalene, he appeared as a gardener. To the two men who are walking in the country on the road to Emmaus, he appeared as simply a curious traveler. To the Galilean fishermen, he appeared one day on the shore in John's Gospel 21 as a Galilean fisherman. He often appeared as a ghost. They simply could not uh, figure out the different ways in which Jesus was going to appear. And I think there's a reason why. I think Jesus appeared to each of them the way that they needed him to appear. I think Jesus does that for us as well. I think Jesus reveals himself to each one of us in different ways at different times in ways that we can receive him. Nearly two years ago, I began to meet with a spiritual director. And one of the very first questions he asked me is, was how is God coming to you? I had no idea the first time he asked me that question, how to answer it. What I've since learned is that, as he's explained it, was what he was getting at is, how are the ways that Jesus, in the many different ways that he can reveal himself, coming and revealing himself to me in this season of my life? And it's been interesting as I become more aware and I'm paying attention. I'm finding that Jesus reveals himself and comes just like he's doing in this pandemic. He's revealing his love and he's revealing his security and he's revealing his presence and his peace in ways that I've not experienced before. The second thing I think it's worth noting here is that faith in God doesn't automatically eliminate doubt. 
It tells us in the Gospels here that as Jesus appeared to his disciples, they responded with disbelief. In fact, the Bible says that when Mary Magdalene came, he didn't believe it. The disciples refused to believe. When the two men on the country came and reported that Jesus had appeared to them, they didn't believe them either. It's interesting. I think it points out the fact that many times, even if we see something with our own two eyes, it's sometimes very hard to truly believe. And I think that many times we think that faith will automatically eliminate doubt, but it doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus later before his ascension appears to his disciples in Matthew's gospel chapter 28. And here's what it says. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. They worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Now, we shouldn't be too hard on these disciples today. I mean, think about if we were them. How difficult would it, would it be for us to believe that someone that we saw die was still alive, that we heard that they're walking down the street alive and well. I mean, we would certainly be filled with the same kind of doubt and skepticism that these disciples were. And yet what I love about Matthew's gospel is it said that they worshiped, but some of them doubted. Listen, one of the aspects of spiritual maturity is being able to hold intention, worshiping God amidst our doubts. Sometimes we think that we can't worship God when we have doubts. But in reality, I think it's important for us to recognize that we, we can hold intention, worshiping God and our doubts. In fact, let me give you a principle today. When you're experiencing doubt, even during this particular pandemic, doubting whether God is good, doubting whether God will see you through, doubting if life will ever get back to normal again, doubting whether God can be trusted. Let me give you a principle. I think when we doubt, we need to pray our way through it and worship our way out of it. And I wanna encourage you to do that today with your doubts. Pray your way through them and worship your way out of them. The disciples, when they saw him, some doubted, but they all worshiped amidst their doubt. Now, Mark's gospel gives us insight to something else really unique and interesting. And that is it gives us insight to two dimensions of doubt that I wanna speak about briefly here today. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 14. He, Jesus, rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Notice that Jesus addresses two aspects of doubt with his disciples. Lack of faith and the refusal to believe. I think there are actually two dimensions of doubt that we experience. The first dimension of doubt, I think, lack of faith. The first dimension is what I would call uncertainty. We're experiencing a lot of that in our lives these days. I used to believe firmly that the opposite of doubt was faith, and I no longer believe that to be true. In fact, I don't believe that doubt and faith are mutually exclusive. 
And I don't think they're opposites. Here's what I believe. I don't think doubt neutralizes our faith. I think doubt galvanizes our faith. I don't think that faith is the opposite of doubt. I think that the opposite of doubt is absolute certainty and absolute being convinced absolutely of something. And I want to suggest to you today that the way that we work through our uncertainty is that we build trust, we build faith through it. I want you to think about your marriage if you're married today or think about a friendship with somebody that you have a deep trusting relationship with. The reality is there are times that you've had to work through uncertainty in that relationship. But what increases your trust? It is their trustworthiness over time in various ways through different circumstances. Their trustworthiness is what increases your trust. And it doesn't get rid of uncertainty. It just helps you to be able to deal with your uncertainty. I think that Jesus here is dealing with the disciples' uncertainty. And he's actually calling them to address it. One of the most notable examples of this is, is found in John's gospel. And it's the story of a guy by the name of Thomas who was one of his disciples. You might know him today as Doubting Thomas. Jesus appears to the disciples. The disciples were there without Thomas. When Thomas comes back, Thomas says, I will not believe that Jesus actually appeared unless I see the nails in his hands and I can see the scar in his side. In John's gospel, Jesus appears to him. Eight days later, the Bible says they were in a house again. The doors were shut and were locked because of the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. In my opinion, Thomas gets a bad rap. I mean, I think Thomas is often pegged as doubting Thomas because he simply carried a level of uncertainty with him. But here's what I believe. I believe that Thomas was actually the most honest of the disciples. I think, I think what Thomas had was the courage to verbalize what all of them were thinking, but nobody was saying. So I think instead of thinking of him as doubting Thomas, we'd be better to think of him as honest Thomas. Friends, I believe that Emotional honesty with God is not a sin. But I believe that emotional dishonesty with God is. And God can handle our candor. God can handle our honesty. What God cannot handle is our pretending it isn't there. Our lack of a willingness to admit our uncertainty and admit our doubts. And Thomas did exactly what he needed to do. And Jesus comes and he appears to him in Thomas's way, in Thomas's day to reveal himself in a way that he hadn't revealed himself to anyone else, but that's what Thomas needed. He does that with us too. I think the second dimension of doubt is actually found in the second statement that Jesus makes. He actually rebuked them, not just for their lack of faith, but for their, what the Bible says was their stubborn refusal to believe. I think the second dimension of doubt is refusal to believe. Now listen, there's a big difference between uncertainty and refusal to believe. It's one thing to have uncertainty, 
to not be absolutely convinced of something. It is a completely different thing to refuse to believe something. Let me illustrate. You might be uncertain about the reality of gravity, but if we go together down to the Kettering Tower in Dayton and we go to the top floor, even if you're carrying a level of uncertainty about gravity, if you refuse to believe it and you test fate and you take a step off the top of the building, I can tell you where it's going to end and it will not be pretty. Because the reality is a refusal to believe something that has been proven or substantiated is something far different from uncertainty. And so the Bible speaks about this refusal to believe at many places. It talks about it in the Bible as hard-heartedness or stubbornness. That's how the Bible often translate it, translates this idea here of refusal to believe. And I think the scripture gives us three reasons for a refusal to believe. Pride, a heart that is unhealthy, spiritually and emotionally. And I think the third reason is an unforgiven offense. When we allow a root of bitterness to grow inside of our heart that affects us and affects the way that we are thinking about others, thinking about God, thinking about ourselves. So how does Jesus confront it? How does he confront this refusal to believe? The Bible says he lovingly rebukes them. Now, let's be honest for a moment today. None of us like to be rebuked. I know I don't. But I've learned in my life that there are times that I need a good, healthy, loving rebuke. There are times that I need someone who is deeply committed to me, loves me deeply, but will be truthful and honest with me. And so let me ask you two questions this morning. Have you given God permission to rebuke you if necessary? And secondly, have you given permission to a trusted friend to rebuke you if necessary? I think it's one of the signs of our maturity in Christ that we actually invite people who love us well, who know us deeply, to be able to speak into our life when it's necessary. Now, I think the remedy to a stubborn heart, to a refusal to believe, is given to us in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, where Ezekiel says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll remove your heart of stone, your stubborn heart, your heart that refuses to believe, and I'll give you a heart of flesh that's responsive and pliable. I think that a heart of flesh is a vulnerable heart. Research professor at the University of Houston and best-selling author Brene Brown talks about the vulnerable heart as a heart that deeply feels both pain and pleasure. Contrary to what I used to believe, Brene suggests that a vulnerable heart is not a weak person and being vulnerable is not weak. She actually goes on to talk about vulnerability as our way to be okay by being imperfect people, that we have the courage to be imperfect. And in her words, a vulnerable heart is a whole heart. And today, friends, what God wants for us more than anything else 
is for us to be honest about our doubt in this season, to be honest about our uncertainty, but also to be willing to step back and say, am I refusing to believe God? Am I refusing to trust God? Am I being stubborn? Because God's inviting us to be vulnerable, to have a heart that is whole and a heart that is, that is made of flesh, that is pliable in his hands. And so today I pray that God would take your heart, that God would form it and fashion it, that he would use you during this time, that he would, he would fashion you to be the person that he so longs for you to be. I wanna close this morning by praying with you the Lord's Prayer. Bow your heads with me as we pray this prayer. I wanna pray it out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter six, verses nine through 13. I love the words of the Passion Translation. Our Father dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is fulfilled in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all that we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs that we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil for you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.